0: So, um, in terms of some background on the New Testament letter of the Hebrews, uh, if we look within the letter itself, uh, we probably see evidence that it's written in the mid-60s AD uh, to a group of Christians probably in in or close to Rome, so they're in Italy. And as the name of the letter suggests, Hebrews, and as is clear from its content, these believers are primarily Jewish Christians. Uh, That's why the letter is packed with Old Testament references and talks so much about Moses and the law and the sacrificial system. Now, what we can also see from the letter is that these Jewish believers are facing a hostile environment. Uh, Because of their faith in Christ, it seems they have now been rejected by their own people, the Jews, and they've been expelled from the synagogue. But if that wasn't bad enough, it's also likely that they were also being persecuted by the Roman authorities because of their faith in Christ. Uh, Christians, you see, were viewed as members of a subversive, illegal sect. So these poor believers were caught between a rock and a hard place, and they're under great temptation to give up, uh, to renounce Christ, and to return to the safety and the comfort of Judaism. You see, at this time, uh, Judaism was a permitted religion under Roman rule, but Christianity wasn't. And so these believers, the survival of their faith is looking very tenuous. And so the letter of Hebrews is written. The writer writes to them to encourage them not to fall away, but to press on in their Christian faith. In this situation of facing great hardship and persecution which is very timely given that, of course, today is, as we've been seeing, the day of international prayer for the persecuted church because these people were undergoing persecution for their faith. So uh, we're going to spend three weeks in Hebrews, and for good reasons. Uh, I'll put once again the diagram on the board which you've been looking at in previous weeks, which gives this sort of Bible overview of the whole of the Bible and how the whole thing fits together. Remember last week we saw that the New Testament letters function to look back down the trajectory. You can see there's this building trajectory which ultimately ends up in the new creation at the very top right there. Uh, And back down the trajectory, of course, is God's unfolding purposes throughout biblical history, which is what we've been looking at over the course of the overview. And so the New Testament letters function to firstly look back down this trajectory of God's revealed purposes. Uh, they, They show how all God's Old Testament promises have been fulfilled in Christ. And never is that truer than in Hebrews because Hebrews is constantly joining the dots between the institutions and the promises of the Old Testament and Jesus. But the New Testament letters not only look back down the trajectory, but they also look forward up the trajectory to its end point, the new creation. And the New Testament letters explain how we should now live in the light of Christ's coming as we continue along the trajectory and as we wait for Christ's return. And such is also the focus of Hebrews, uh, generally in terms of the whole book, and particularly in this passage today. It looks up the trajectory. Now, a few words on the way that the writer is approaching his task of encouraging these Christians. He's calling them to perseverance and patience as they travel along the trajectory. And he has a two pronged strategy to encourage us to endure in our faith. Uh, Firstly, wooing, and the secondly, warning. Uh, Wooing, where he is wooing their hearts. He's explaining to them the greatness of Jesus. He reveals to them how wonderful Jesus is, and effectively says, look, you'd be fools to abandon Christ. But he doesn't just woo them, but he also warns them. Uh, The letter contains five warnings about what happens if we do renounce Christ. The loss of all hope, the loss of heaven, the loss of eternal life leaving only the grim specter of God's judgment. And so, in the letter of Hebrews, we have wooing and warning. And we're going to see both in our passage today. So, before we have the passage read to us, a few things to watch out for. Uh, Firstly, the theme of God's Word and how we respond to it. Uh, The theme of God's Word is the golden thread that runs through this passage. So, look out for references to Revelation Uh, to God's voice, uh, to God's promises, to the gospel, and to the Word of God. Uh, Also, look out for references to the end point of the trajectory, uh, that is to heaven and to hope. And also, see if you can spot any woos and any warnings. So, without further ado, uh, let's get into this meaty, wonderful passage.
1: So, uh, Hebrews Chapter 3, saying from verse 1 through to chapter 4, verse 13. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest, whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses' just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if we hold firmly till the end, the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, who were they who heard and rebelled? were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt, and with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert, and to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they would not were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest and those formerly who had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. Then a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before. Today, if, you're here, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains, then, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one would fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account.
0: Uh, Let me pray for us before we look further at this passage together. Heavenly Father, please open the eyes of our hearts to hear what you are saying through your word. And may we have soft hearts, which receive your word, uh, gratefully and submissively and joyfully, we pray, such that we continue on the trajectory ultimately to the new creation as people who trust in Christ to the very end, no matter what. Amen. So, uh, let's work our way through uh, these two chapters of this wonderful book in New Testament. Uh, did you notice that the opening verse of, uh, of this passage talks about Jesus in two ways. Uh, He is the apostle, and he's also the priest. Look at chapter 3 again, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess. Uh, Apostle and priest summarizes themes that have either been prominent in the previous two chapters or will become prominent in the chapters that follow. And we're just going to focus on one of them today, Christ as Apostle. Now, what does it mean when it says that Christ is the Apostle whom we confess? Well, of course, Apostle literally means sent one. An Apostle comes with the authority to speak on behalf of someone else. And so, therefore... The role of apostle and prophet are effectively the same. Both apostle and prophet are sent by God with authority, authority to speak on His behalf. Now, in the prior two chapters of Hebrews, which we haven't had read to us today, much has been made of the revelation that Jesus brings. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says this, In the past, speaking about the Old Testament era, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. You see, the revelation that Jesus brings is superior to all that has gone before. The revelation that Jesus brings, the word that he brings is the climax of God's revelation. Uh, Moses was renowned as the preeminent prophet of the Old Testament. Uh, The Jews held him in very high regard, and rightly so. Let's actually see what God had to say about Moses back in Numbers 12, verse 6. He says this, When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in my house, and with him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So Moses was rightly revered as the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. But these Jewish Christians, to whom Hebrews has written, are in effect being tempted to go back to Moses. They're thinking, actually, this Christianity is hard yards, we're getting persecuted for it. It'll be far easier if we just renounce Christ and we go back just to being Jews and go back to Judaism. In effect, they would be going back down the trajectory of God's purposes, not moving forward. And so we come to our first woo today in this passage. The writer shows the utter folly of going back to Moses. He draws this contrast between Moses, the greatest Old Testament prophet, and Jesus, the supreme prophet. Now due to time constraints, we're just going to move over this quite quickly. But basically the comparison revolves around something called God's house. Which is another way of saying God's people, and the first thing we say see is that Moses is part of God's house, that is part of God's people, whereas Jesus is the builder of God's house, His people. Uh, Chapter three, verse three. uh, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater. For every house is built by someone but God is the builder of everything. Let's keep going. Uh, servant, also, Moses is a servant in God's house, but Jesus is the son over God's house. Verse 5. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But God is faithful as a son over God's house. Do you get the point? Don't go back to Moses. Hold true to Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 6. And we are His house. That means we are God's people. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast, hold on to Jesus. Don't give up. So here we have a woo. Jesus is the supreme prophet. Uh, Moses was great, but Jesus is greater. Jesus is the preeminent apostle. His words cannot be eclipsed. And what then follows for the rest of this chapter and on into chapter 4 is an appeal to respond rightly to the words of Christ. It's a call to unwavering, faithful trust in him, no matter what. Keep going. Hold on to the gospel. Don't give up. And we're going to see the writer builds his case in three sections, and they're uh, on your outline, in your bulletin. Firstly, uh, God's word from the past, which is going to see a serious warning. Uh, Secondly, God's word in the present, an earnest appeal And thirdly, God's word for the future, a dependable promise. So let's look at the first of those. God's word from the past, a serious warning. (coughs) Using something dramatic or shocking has been a powerful teaching aid. And so it is here. The writer is writing to shock. He is moving now from wooing to warning, and he goes back to a dark, traumatic era in Israel's past. That incident sent shockwaves reverberating down the corridors of the nation's history thereafter. Of course, we know from Israel's history, God had powerfully rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. And yet as soon as they encountered difficulties in the desert, what did they do? They forgot about God's salvation. They become consumed with their hardships and they grumble and they stop trusting God. They actually say, we want to go back. We want to go back to Egypt. We're never going to get to this special land he promised us. And they rebel against him and they reject his word. Chapter 3, verse 7. So, As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his, that is God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested me and tried me for 40 years and saw what I did. And of course, we know, because of the people's doubt and because of their disloyalty, God swears that they are never going to enter the land of rest, which he had promised them. Chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The Israelites in the desert sinned, They didn't believe God's promises for the future. They didn't trust him to ultimately bring them to the land of Canaan, which he'd promised them. Their faith falters and their fears prevail in the face of hardship. And as a result, they lose everything. So God's word from the past, a serious warning. Next we see God's word in the present, an earnest appeal. This warning from the past would certainly not have been lost on these Jewish Christians for they too were in danger of making the same mistake. Uh, They too were in peril of not persisting in their faith in God's promises during hard times. Chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God this of course is a timeless exhortation because it's also the danger of Christians in every generation and it's the danger therefore if you're trusting in Christ for you and me today are we willing to continue trusting in Jesus when life is hard and things are not working out as we hoped When we suffer for our faith, when we face pressures to compromise, will Christ's message of the cross and the promise of heaven be enough to keep us going as Christians? You see, Israel's rescue from Egypt, it was no guarantee that she would ultimately end up in the promised land. Rescue was one thing. But inheriting all God's promised was another. And tragically, those people in that generation in the desert didn't ultimately inherit what God's promised. And therefore today, in the same way, starting as a Christian is no guarantee of inheriting heaven. True faith in Christ is persistent faith in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 14. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. So you see, each day is a fresh challenge. Will you continue trusting Christ today? Will you continue to engage in the fight for faith today? Will you battle against unbelief in your heart today? You see, being a member of the church is no guarantee that we are a true member of the church. Uh, This is the tension that has been present throughout the history of the church. Of course, we know that the church is a mix of true believers and nominal believers. That is, people who say they are Christians, but in reality, they aren't. Uh, Do you remember the parable of the wheat and the weeds? That's what that parable is all about. Uh, It's what's been called the distinction between the visible church and the invisible church. And this has been the case in the Old Testament church as it is in the New Testament church. Not every member of God's visible people, Israel, was a member of God's true people. Those who trusted God in their hearts and held on to His promises in their hearts. Chapter 3, verse 15. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Uh, Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Do you see the challenge? We are to ensure that we are not content with just being a member of the visible church, Rather, we must ensure we are members of the invisible church. You can never tell who is a member of the invisible church because you only know by looking into somebody's heart and only you can look into your own heart. Do you have true, enduring faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His promises of ultimately taking you to the new creation, to heaven, through trusting in Him and His work on the cross? Because this is where the writer goes next. He directs our gaze to the end of the trajectory of God's purposes. And this is our final section today. God's word for the future. A dependable promise. Hebrews 4 verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. You see, having quality Bible teaching in our church does not mean that we are a healthy church. The message can be taught faithfully, but we have to respond to it faithfully. We have to combine the message with faith. It requires a response. And the writer in Hebrews now turns to the task of clarifying what the rest, which he this term term he uses, what the rest actually is that God offers to those who believe. What is this rest and when is it? Chapter 4 verse 3. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And what the writer then goes on to demonstrate next is that the rest, it's not ultimately the promise of some scrubby piece of real estate in the Middle East of Canaan. It's something far greater and something far grander. God's rest is something that he himself entered into after finishing the creation itself. And it's therefore so infinitely bigger than Canaan. And it's been around longer than Canaan. Chapter 4 verse 3 continues and it says this. And yet God's work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God Rested from all his work. What does it mean when it says God rested? Well, he rested from his labor of creating and he then enjoyed the goodness of everything he had created. And for us, this sort of rest that God enjoys, that is effectively heaven, is still something in the future. It is, of course, in ultimately the new creation, when the creation is restored to perfection. It is, of course, the renewal of all things when Jesus returns. It is, of course, the sharing of the rest that God enjoyed before the fall spoilt everything. It's in the future. We're looking forward to it, but we don't yet have it. And we're on the journey through the desert. And so we must persist on the journey and continue to exercise faith in Christ's promise. Do you see, the Bible uses the story of Israel in the Old Testament as a paradigm for our story as well. We are pilgrims going through the desert to the promised land, ultimately the promised land of heaven. And that's why we sung that wonderful hymn, Guard me, O thou great Redeemer. It's picking up on that theme. And it's a helpful picture to keep in our mind. We are currently in the desert. We're not yet in the promised land. We need to keep going. Trusting in God's word and responding in a right way to God's promises, the promises of the gospel. Because the point is this. When our last day comes, or when Christ returns then we cease from our labor as God did from His. And if on that day we're believing in Christ, we enter into that same rest enjoyed by God on the seventh day. Chapter 4, verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from His. So do you see How we respond to God's Word in the present determines our future destiny. God's Word is not just a historical record of what happened in the past. God's Word, the Bible, is living and active. It is timeless and it speaks to every generation. Chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living And active. And the Word of God demands a response from our hearts. Every time we read it, the question is this Will we respond in faith to what we are reading? Chapter 4, verse 12 continues Sharper than any double edged sword, God's Word penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, for now, the distinction between the visible church and the invisible church remains hidden from us. But it is not hidden from God. Ultimately, our heart response to God's word is something that God will call us to give an account for to Him. Chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So a few words of application in closing. Firstly, persevering is hard work And it's going to demand every effort. The joy of what it will be like to enter into God's rest is something which is unimaginable. But so is the depth of desolation that will hit us if we miss out on entering into God's rest. And therefore the key thing now is to remain faithful to Christ and faithful to his word, the gospel. What will that require of us? Chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. What does Christian perseverance require of us? Making every effort. It's going to be strenuous. It's going to be demanding. It will involve making sacrifices. It will bring hardship. It will call for self-discipline. We all have different struggles as Christians, different areas of weakness, different areas where we are tempted to fall. And often there comes a point in our daily life where maybe we know we're at a tipping point. The temptation is strong to fall again. And it's at that point when God's word says, make every effort not to fall again. Make every effort. In what areas of our Christian life do we need to make every effort? Where are we in danger of becoming cool to God's word? or even resistant to God's Word? Are we in danger during hard times to harden our hearts against God and to lose sight of the end of the trajectory of everything He's promised? You see, God's Word calls us, each of us, to make every effort. Now, if that sounds daunting, then there is some good news God does not expect us to carry this burden of making every effort on our own. God has graciously provided us with fellow pilgrims on this journey. And God's gracious, loving provision is that we can help each other. Chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin can often thrive in the darkness of seclusion. When we live life as a loner, hearts become hardened more easily without the loving challenge of a Christian brother or sister. What would it look like for you to live out this verse more fully? Uh, Will it involve being more honest about your heart struggles with faith and sin to somebody who you trust? Uh, Who is it that you could trust to open up to? Who could you get alongside maybe to in turn encourage These are thoughts which we need to take away and reflect on in the quietness of our own hearts. So, Jesus is the ultimate Moses-like figure. Jesus is the one who brings God's word to his people. And at the heart of Jesus' word is the promise of a better land. The promise of a heavenly city for all who would trust in him now and keep trusting in him now. Jesus is the one who leads his people through the desert. He is the greater Moses. Jesus is the one who leads his people to the place of God's rest. And his sheep know his voice and they listen to him. Not just in the beginning, but throughout the whole journey of their lives. Therefore, keep keeping on. And encourage each other to keep keeping on. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, it is a powerful picture of, from Israel's history, which is a paradigm for the history of your people throughout the ages. Uh, we have been, slaved, uh, we've been saved from slavery through the cross, our slavery to sin. We're currently in the desert, a time of hardship, where we labor in your service and keep trusting you and your promises. And we look forward to that end point of the trajectory that heavenly rest, the rest ultimately in the new creation, when we will rest from our labour now and enjoy and savour your creation in all its goodness and all you intended it to be. Help us, therefore, to keep going, trusting in Christ, and to encourage each other to keep going, we pray. Amen.